John chapter 6, beginning in verse 66, we're going to pick up our text. We've spent, this will be our fifth week in John chapter 6, and I think that um, the many times that I've taught through the Gospel of John, this is surely my slowest time. We've spent a lot of time in chapter 6, but I'll tell you, there's so much there, and I, I'm not in any hurry to finish it. I just want us to glean as much as we possibly can from it. Let's read the text and then we'll pray once more. Verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained or grumbled about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Note verse 63, it's important, to the whole of the teaching of Jesus found in chapter six. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one comes to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away also? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe that you, that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you as a devil? And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who betrayed him, being one of the twelve. Father, we pray, as we always do, Lord, that you would please teach us. This is your word, inspired by your spirit. As we read in our text today, it's the spirit. It's your spirit. The flesh profits nothing. It's your spirit. And so we're dependent upon you now, Holy Spirit, to give us insight, to give understanding. Please, Lord, to bring, bring clarity if there's, you know, some misunderstanding about the things that we've been studying the past few weeks. So teach us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. You'll note that um, if you're with us, if you've been with us, if you're familiar with John chapter 6, you know that... Um, Jesus had said some controversial things. We saw it last week. It's almost as if Jesus was kind of uh, pushing the envelope. You know, he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, of course, they didn't understand these sayings. But when you look at the, the, the text and you are paying attention, it's apparent that that's not the thing that troubled them the most. There was something else that troubled them. There was something else that offended them. But I want you to note that in our text today, verses 60 through 71, there is absolutely no mention of eating. Eating is not mentioned in the text. Uh, We do find in our text not believing. We see that twice in verse 64. And then we see reference to believing in verse 69. You say, what's your point, Dan? My point is, is that if there's any misunderstanding that somehow a sacrament, a, you know, communion or any other thing is what saves us, 
I mean, you need, to, you need to follow what Jesus was saying. Salvation is by believing in Jesus Christ. We've seen it a number of times in chapter 6. So we see a reaction from the people. They listen to the teaching of Jesus, and this was their response to the teaching of Jesus. They, says, they said, this is a hard saying who can understand it. This is a hard saying who could understand it. And it's important to note that the word hard literally means tough, harsh, or severe. So they're grumbling about the Lord. They're complaining about the Lord. They're saying, this is too severe, this teaching of yours. In fact, that's from the New King James. That's what I use. The King James Bible, it reads just a little bit different. It says, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? The New Living Translation, it reads this way. This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? So we see the response of the people who could understand it, who could hear it, who could accept it. And this is, this is where they were coming from. And of course, Jesus knew that that's what was in their hearts. They didn't even have to say it, but they did say it. And I want you to note that in verse 60, we're told that they were his disciples. So they're not the 12, they're a larger you know, group of disciples. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a pupil, a student, one who sits under the teaching of a teacher. And so they were his disciples in that way. Surely not in the same way that the 12 uh, you know, handpicked by Jesus were disciples, but they were pupils, they had sat under his teaching. And so they, they, they hear these things, they're troubled by these things. These are hard sayings. These are harsh, uh, severe, tough sayings. But they're referred to as his disciples, his disciples. I almost stuttered on that. I don't usually stutter. You know what, guys? We have it on our wall downstairs. Um, well, it's not the whole verse. It's part of the verse. It's John chapter 8, verse 31, part of the verse. It says, if you abide in my word... Jesus, of course, is speaking. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So Jesus says, uh, abide in my word. And on this occasion, these disciples said, who could understand it? Who could hear it? How could anyone accept it? It's severe. It's harsh. It's too difficult. And you say, yeah, those guys, they just didn't get it. We don't get it. Do you know, guys, it's so sad. You know, Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? And, and that was a question that he asked 2,000 years ago, and yet the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, many of us are wondering, will you find faith on the earth, Lord? It just seems like there are so many who profess to be something that they're not. If a disciple is truly one who abides in his word, because that's what he says, if you abide, it's conditioned, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, or truly, you're truly my disciples. If that's really the condition, one of the conditions of being his disciple, abiding in his word, then you got to ask, why is it that so many people, not back then, but today, so many people who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ are so easily offended by the teachings of Jesus. 
so easily offended. In fact, Jesus asked the question in verse 61, does this offend you? Does this offend you? You know what I've learned as a pastor? I never ask that question because I know what the answer will be. On any given time that I open my mouth and teach the word of God, I know what the answer will be. Not for everyone, but for some. The word offend, it literally means to trip up, to cause to stumble, to entice to sin. It speaks of apostasy. Does that word sound familiar? It, it, it speaks of something that brings displeasure. And we know from our text, we just read it, you guys are familiar with the text, no doubt, that the result or the effect of Jesus' teaching was apostasy, departure. They were sitting under, they were listening, they seemed to have some interest in him, though, you know, their interest from the text, you wonder, were they more interested in being fed, having their bellies filled, or their hearts filled with the word of God? And so Jesus, he asked the question, does this offend you? And I wonder about our generation today of those who profess to be his disciples. They seem to be so easily offended by his teaching. They seem to be, if they're not offended by his teaching, they're surely embarrassed by his teaching. You know, guys, um, we're going to put a, a scripture up on, on the screen there or on the TV. And it's uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. I'm not going to read all of it, but there you have the, the whole uh, text. But you'll know what Jesus says there. But from the beginning of creation. Now, right there, you got to stop. <laughs> because, because we have many professing Christians that would say, I've got a problem with that, Jesus. You say creation. You say tomato, we say tomato. You say creation, we say, we say evolution. You say, oh, that's not true of most Christians. Do you know that, and I make reference of him quite a bit lately, because he seems to be in the news, Christian-related news, quite a bit, and that's Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley, a very well-known Bible teacher who went home to be with Jesus. His son, Andy, uh, pastor, is one of the largest churches in America. And there are many things that come out of the mouth of Andy where you scratch your head and you say, what in the world is he talking about? And one of the latest statements that he's made is that the reason the ancients were given the creation account is because they were too ignorant to understand the truth of evolution. Now, it kind of explains why he would pastor one of the largest churches in America, because if, you, if you're going with really, you know, the dead man walking, you know, what's the common theory? What's the common, uh, you know, mindset of the world? You know, we know these things to be true because science, of course. I would hope that you guys would do your due diligence and Look at what science is saying, because science is constantly changing, isn't it? Constantly, on everything. I mean, now we know, science tells us, that a man could be a woman, become pregnant, and have a menstrual period. We didn't know that before. It's constantly changing. I'm being sarcastic, obviously. But this is the world in which we live in. So you have 
this constant change. I think it's interesting to note that many of these secular scientists are moving closer to, they haven't arrived, but they're moving closer to a young earth and, and most of them that are doing their research believe in a worldwide flood. When was that? That was scoffed at. That was laughed at. Oh, ridiculous. Who could believe in such a thing? And yet now we have the, which by the way, can I make this clear? I don't care what the secular scientists are saying. I'm not saying that, you know, now that they're moving this direction, you know, we could listen to them. I'm just simply saying that if it's truly science, because science is something that you could, you have evidence for, Right? So if it's truly science, those who are truly doing the science, looking at the evidence, they're finding that they have to move closer to the fact. And many of them are concluding there was obviously a worldwide flood. There was a time in the history of the earth where the earth was covered with water. And they're coming to that. I think it's sad because there are many Christians because they're embarrassed of the teachings of the Bible, embarrassed of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, they, they want to adhere to things that are commonly held to. This is why people are waffling on a lot of issues today, a lot of social issues today, a lot of Christians. They're waffling because I don't want to look like a hater. I don't want to look like an ignorant person. I want to go with, with what, what's the dead man walking say? What are they saying? I want to go with what they say, you know? And, and I'll tell you, you end up looking foolish when the day is done because the word of God stands true. It's interesting, Jesus says, from the beginning of creation. Jesus says creation, and many of his supposed disciples are saying evolution. Why? Because they're embarrassed of the creation account. How could anyone believe something so foolish, they would say. He goes on in in, in uh, Verse 6, the second part of verse 6, he says, God made them male and female. And there are many, even within the church, even among those who profess to be disciples of Jesus and would say, wait a minute, that's too restrictive. They might even say, Jesus, shh, that's hate speech. You can't speak like that. Jesus goes on in the same text. Look at verse 8, the second part of that. So then they are no longer one, uh, I'm sorry, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And I could hear it in my head already, professing Christians saying, one man with one woman for life, come on. Now, listen, this is God's ideal. And I know even within the church, there have been many divorces, and I'm not trying to bring shame on anybody. But we need to understand, this was God's design. This was God's plan. And the mindset of many professing believers today is, Jesus, I thought you came to set me free, and they don't even understand what the freedom is, that you came to set me free and to make me happy. And of course... They're wrong on both accounts. There are many who are confused, who claim to be disciples. Now you say, oh, Dan, you're being so hard. You're always, you're always criticizing the church, modern-day Christianity. Well, you know, guys, the problem wasn't just, it's not just with modern-day Christianity. Look at the text. Look at verse 10. 
Even his disciples had a hard time with this saying of Jesus. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, before an understanding of the word of God and the God of the word, look what they said there in verse 10. If such is the case of man with his wife, it's better not to marry. I mean, even as 12 said, if I can't divorce my wife, if I choose to divorce my wife, it'd be better not to marry altogether. And remember what Jesus went on to say? Yeah, you know, I mean, not all are called to this, but you could be a eunuch. <laughs> I mean, you know. It's, you know, but it's a strange, guys. Are you tracking with me? This strange kind of mindset among many who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's even this pushback among many today that profess, who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ They're offended, they're embarrassed by the narrowness of Jesus' declaration. Do you know what declaration I'm speaking of? The declaration is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And there are many disciples, many professing disciples of Jesus who say, wait a minute, we don't believe in that. And you might say, well, where do you get that, Dan? Well, you know, there's a lot of data that comes out. This is just one source. This comes from an article uh, from the Christian Post. It says nearly 70%, you're dealing with 100%, so nearly 70% of those who profess to be born-again Christians say that Jesus is not the only way, truth, and life. They say that Jesus, that it's not true, that Jesus, that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. So there's a problem. There's a serious problem. You are my disciples if you abide in my word. And and the weird thinking today among many who profess to be Christians is this. I could believe in Jesus without believing in his word. Think of that. That is so bizarre. I could believe in Jesus without without believing in his word. Um, Or I could could take his word, the parts that I like, kind of like a smorgasbord. You guys, younger people, do you remember what a smorgasbord is? Kind of like a, you know, you go through. They used to have a place in Southern California. I don't remember what it's called, but there was a knight and a king and... King George's, yeah, I know it's purple, purple buildings, and you'd go through there, and you'd, you, you know, oh, that looks good, and you'd take a little bit of that, maybe a lot of that stuff, and I don't want any of that, and you just kind of go, and that's kind of how Christianity seems to be today among many professing Christians. I'll take, I'll take the love portions, I'll take the love scriptures, Lord, I, I love, oh, I love that, that chocolate pudding, pile it up, you know. But Lord, I don't, want, I don't want to hear about holiness. I don't want to hear about repentance. I don't, I don't want to hear about things that make me uncomfortable or make me unhappy. Do you remember how Jesus was introduced in this gospel account, John, John's gospel account? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, Lagos. Lagos. Again, John 8, 31, I keep coming back to it. Jesus says, if you abide in my word. Different spelling, but if you look up the Greek word, it's the exact same word, lagos, that we find in John chapter 1, 1. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
There are many, and I'm convinced this is what stumbles a lot of people because they hear the teaching of Jesus. They're not familiar with the teaching of Jesus because they're not feeding themselves the teaching of Jesus, i.e. the word of God. They hear the teaching of Jesus. They get offended at the one speaking it as if, as if I or, or someone else who's standing on the word of God, that we're coming up with this on our own. Oh, that's your opinion. You hater. And you say, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. Did you know in Psalm 138, verse 2, the second part of that verse, it says this. For you, the you is God, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Think of that. And there seems to be this weird, strange mindset that the word of God is optional. I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Do you guys know that there are many Jesuses out there? There's a Jesus of, of Mormonism. Jesus of Mormonism was the spirit brother of Lucifer, the devil. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's a Jesus of Islam, but he's not the savior of the world. He didn't die upon a cross. I mean, there's a lot of variations with that. There's the Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses, but he was, I'm having a hard time today. I keep wanting to say something. Um, but he was the uh, Michael the Archangel. I don't know how they get that one out of there, you know. There, there's a lot of mystical Jesuses in Eastern mysticism. People talk about Jesus all the time. Before I was a Christian, and I would kind of dabble in a lot of this mystical type of stuff, you know, the gurus from, you know, India coming over to the West. They'd always talk about Jesus. You know why? Because we know who Jesus is in the West. And they just say, well, Jesus, you know, he's just an ascended master, like so many of these other ascended masters. And then they'd point to themselves, but I'm the greatest ascended master. Do you see what I'm saying? So we cannot really be disciples of Jesus if we don't understand the teachings of Jesus. If we're adhering, if we're abiding in the teachings of Jesus, then our faith is going to grow. We're going to mature. We're going to think differently about life. Jesus, again, he asked the question, does this offend you? The word of God always has an effect upon the hearer. I remember when I would hear the gospel or someone would share something before I knew the Lord, I would always react. It was never favorable. It was, not, it was always a reaction of, oh, gosh, come on, where do you get that? You know, and, Oh, that's your opinion. I'd always say, that's your opinion, or this one. That's your interpretation. I used that one quite a bit until someone stopped with their Bible open and they said, okay, so God, do, do you know, yeah, love, <laughs> yeah, I got that one. You know, he says, it's not an interpretation. I didn't interpret anything. I just simply read the verse to you. You know, guys, it has an effect. It always hits its target. It never returns void. It always gets a reaction. It will get the re reaction of, of, of belief or unbelief. I just don't believe that. And sadly, and, and I've dealt with this as a pastor for a long time, it's amazing to me the pushback from people who profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ when it comes to the word of God. A pushback, pushback, pushback. You think, man, 
I, you know, I'm not doing this because I want to fight with professing Christians about the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Let's just look at the Word of God. What is it saying, you know? But there's always an outcome. The outcome is acceptance or rejection. Jesus did not preach, listen, Jesus did not preach to please his hearers. This is why many are spiritually malnourished today because they sit under teaching where the teacher is more concerned. We saw it on that short little video. I love that song. That's one of my favorite ones because it's so, like, sarcastic. That's what I love. I love sarcasm, especially when it speaks the truth. But, um, but I... You know, it's, the concern is, do you love me? I want you to leave here happy. Are you, are you happy? Is everyone good? Everyone fine? You know, you all happy? You know, oh, we love Pastor Dan. Isn't he a cuddly bear? You know, and I hear people talk about their pastors like that. And, and, and the concern is, is that the pastor keeps his place of prominence rather than when Jesus preached, he preached to reach, not to please. Do you get the impression, for those of you who diligently read the scriptures, study the scriptures, when you read through the Gospels, do you get the impression that Jesus really cared about what people thought of him? If, if you have, could you please show me where it's at, because I, I've yet to find it. Even when Jesus would ask a question, you know, what are they saying about me? Or who, who do they say I am? It's not like he's caught up. It's not like he's disturbed. It's not like he's troubled if people don't speak favorably of him. I mean, he was just so secure in who he, who he is. God draws sinners to the Savior through the power of his word. Where do we get that? Well, we see it many places in the Bible. But guys, we're, we're dealing with John chapter 6. And so let me give you a, an example out of John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 45. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, Jesus said. Those who reject his word will reject the Savior. Those who receive the word will, will receive the Savior and be born again. It comes down to the word of God. We need to remind ourselves of this, Christians, because sometimes I think that um, we, we think that it's our powerful testimony, our story. Let me tell you my story, you know. My story, it will convince you to surrender your life to Christ. And those stories can have an effect. I mean, people can identify with your story, but it's really limited. I, I mean, your story really is not going to save anybody. We can't save anybody. If your story causes someone to look into Jesus and to believe in him, then praise the Lord for that. But see, you're just being used. You're just kind of a tool. The, 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 the main focus is on Christ and his word and his work upon the cross and the work of redemption and everything like that. Look at verse 62. I'm going to speed this up a little bit. The people were offended, but why were they offended? Were they offended because Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood? Oh, probably. But from our text tonight, or today, it's not nighttime, is it? I, I, I missed my alarm clock this morning. I never do that. And I slept in an hour late, so I'm a little off. In fact, 
is this a dream? <laughs> Do you, you ever feel that way? Like you're living a dream? Anyway, the people were offended because Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. He said it, or it's, it's referred to in verse 33, verse 38, verse 41, verse 42, verse 50, verse 58. I've come down from heaven. You say, how do you know that he's referring to that? Because look at verse 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was? Where was he? Heaven. Heaven. They're stumbled. Remember last week, if you were with us. Isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? We know his parents. We know where he's from. We know he's not from heaven, they said. Verse 63, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It's almost as if Jesus, at this point, as he's wrapping up this teaching, I mean, you know, we're going to leave this. Next week we'll be in chapter 7, so we'll be dealing with the other issues. But it's almost as if Jesus was saying, come on, folks, track with me. <laughs> track with me. Get your mind off of eating and get it onto receiving and believing in me. And then drop down to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It's a sad verse. Many of his disciples walked with him no more. They were offended. That's called apostasy. That's called departure. We once held, and these disciples, of course, we don't know how much they had heard from Jesus, how, much, how long they were. I mean, you get the impression they weren't really with Jesus very long. But they did sit under his teaching, whatever he taught when he was feeding them. That is the 5,000 plus women and children. They sat under his teaching, you know. Their understanding was limited. But they departed. So here's the question that came to my mind. Did Jesus get bummed out because they left? Now, I think of myself. Now, I'm, I'm, you track with me because I'm not comparing myself with Jesus. I'm just simply making a, a connection here. So I've pastored this little church for 35 years. In the 35 years that I pastored this church, we've seen hundreds of people um, come to this church and leave this church. Many people have moved away, but there have been plenty of people who have left the church, and I know that they have left the church because they were offended. I know that. Um, you'll note that it hasn't left much of an impression upon me if you've been around here for any amount of time because I continue to just simply teach the word of God. I, because ultimately, here's the thing. I, I have more fear of God, reverence of God, than I do of man. I would, I would love to pastor a large church. But... Maybe I couldn't handle pastoring a large church. But one day I'll stand before the Lord and the Lord will say, Danny, step forward. Be my seat of Christ. Maybe I'll say something like, Danny, are you aware of what James wrote? That those who teach will fall under a stricter judgment. Yes, Lord. 
I see that you served at Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor for 35 years. If the Lord tarries, 40 years. 45 years. Oh, gosh, I don't even want to think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be here that much longer. But anyway, what have you done with my son? How did you handle my word? Do You see, guys, I, I know as a pastor, someone who seeks to abide in the word of God, you know, the words of Christ, but the word of God, one who studies Bible prophecy, who understands that there will be a falling away, that this is one of the signs of, of the days in which we're living, that is the last days, knowing that, that the group is going to shrink. It's not going to, there is no promise of a great outpouring or revival in the last days. We'd love to see it, but there's no, no Bible prophecy saying that at all. But that rather people will turn away because of the difficulties of life, because of the hardships of life, because they're stumbled, because they're offended by the word of God. And this is why, as a pastor of this church, I'm always saying, be in the word, be in the word, be in the word, be in the word. I mean, I'm like a broken record because I know that that's the remedy. If you're in the word, um, see, I don't know everything, obviously. No one knows, no man knows everything. But if you're in the word and, 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 and you approach me after a teaching, and, and many times this happens, and it's not a corrective type of thing, you know. Sometimes the ones that want to correct me, I, I wonder, you know, they're usually off on some tangent or something, you know. But, um, but when someone comes up and says, you know what, that text that you taught, I saw that, 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 and they'll share something, and, I'll, and many times, and you could ask different people, I'll say, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm using that at the next service. Because that's insight I totally missed. It's so wonderful. But listen, that's not from someone that's just hearing the text for the first time. That's coming from people who are reading the text. They're, they're meditating upon it. They're pondering the text, the word of God. And then the Lord is showing them something. So then when we come together and there's now this corporate teaching of the word, and, of course, I'm not going to cover every aspect of it because I'm just one person. The person can come up and say, you know, this is what I gleaned from this text. And many times, it's so obvious, it's so apparent. I say, I, how did I miss that? That is so good. That is so rich. So getting back to the question. I, I, Jesus, was he bummed out when they left? I've pastored this church for 35 years, seen a lot of people come and go. I always get bummed out when people leave. But I am a foolish man with limited understanding. Jesus is not a mere man. He is not foolish and does not lack understanding. My point is this. Jesus said, we see it in verse 64, or Jesus didn't say it, but we see the, the words. For Jesus knew, this is a commentary, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. Was Jesus bummed out? I don't think Jesus was bummed out. He knew what was going on. He understood what was happening. You wonder, and I, some of the folks between services were talking to me about these folks that left. There was a, a lot of people who left. Did they perish in their sins? I said, we don't know because the scripture doesn't tell us. But I'd like to believe, just like I'd like to believe, that after the church is raptured, that all those who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ 
when they had a precious opportunity to receive it and to escape the tribulation, a time that's coming upon the earth that's going to be worse than there's ever been since the creation of the earth, according to Jesus. Again, he spoke about creation. But I'd like to believe that this group of disciples, maybe after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, maybe it was on the day of Pentecost, maybe it was after the day of Pentecost. You know, these were Jews, so they would have been in Jerusalem at that time. Maybe they were part of that 3,000, you know, that, that said to Peter, our hearts are cut with conviction. What must we do to be saved, you know? Maybe. We don't know for sure. But I don't think Jesus was bummed out. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked them, do you want to go away? Do you want to go away? Do you want to withdraw? Do you want to retire? As if sinking out of sight. And I love Peter's response. Don't you love Peter? I love Peter because Peter says things he shouldn't say. At times he shouldn't say them. I could identify with that. But then there were those rare occasions when Peter was right on, man. He just, it was like, what did the rest of you guys think of that? I mean, this is great, you know. And, and Peter, well, you know how he responded. And this is my question. This is his question. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? If Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, who is? If Jesus is not the bread of life, we will remain spiritually malnourished. If Jesus is not the light of the world, we remain in darkness. If Jesus is not the door, we remain outside and lost. If Jesus is not the good shepherd, where are we going to find him? If Jesus is not the resurrection and the life, we have no hope. Nehemiah made reference to it in his closing prayer of the worship. Here's the thing, bottom line. If you personally have not come to the conclusion that Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. So I'm not going to any gurus. I don't, I don't chase after that foolish stuff anymore. In fact, now I think to myself, I was, telling someone, I was telling Nate yesterday, I said, you know, I can't even imagine where my brain was that I would think that these guys had something to offer. Because now when I listen to them, they're just full of foolishness. Self-serving foolishness, you know. But of course, I was in darkness. I was spiritually dead, according to the scriptures. But if you have not personally come to that place where you believe that he has the words of eternal life, only he, and that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the son of the living God, if you have not personally come to that conclusion, um, you too will report, uh, uh, depart. And, and maybe that's going to offend some of you. I'm not asking you if you're offended. I'm just simply <laughs> the fact that maybe that will offend you. But, but it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. You will depart. Because, guys, do you think this is going to get easier? It's not going to get easier. You know...
there's pushback all the time. There's this contention. There's this, shut your eyes, shut your mouth. I mean, guys, are you paying attention to what's happening around the world right now? And especially places because, you know, maybe we used to be on the cutting edge of a lot of things, a lot of bizarre things, not just good things. But we're finding that the things sometimes are happening in other places and then eventually they come around to our country. But you look at the oppression of Christians in the UK right now. Look at that, guys. You, you look back at, in the UK, you know, I've got a library of uh, books that the commentators lived in London and England, you know, they were, they were, you know, the British Empire and these men, scholarly men of God. And you think of the Spurgeons and, and these men that just preached the word of God and people would come out. And, and, you know, just by the multitudes to hear the gospel. And you go to those same churches, those same buildings that once were proclaiming the word of God and they are now mosques. Christianity is, is dead in the UK. Praise the Lord for the remnant. But you guys know it. You know it as much as I do. And we're seeing it happen. We're seeing it right across the border in Canada. We're seeing the same movement. I mean, you know, we're seeing this pastors being, you know, put in jail for things that they've said. We go, you got to be kidding. Are wanting to keep their churches open during COVID? I mean, remember that, guys? Don't forget stuff like that. Don't forget it. And you say, really? For that? And now it's... Now it's, if a street preacher, I just read this, a street preacher is simply reading from Romans 1 or from the word of God and it speaks against kind of the, the, you know, the talking heads of our culture today. Well, that's hate speech. You can't say things like that. We live in a time when supposedly, you know, AI is going to write a true Bible. You guys have heard that, you know. And, and you just look at this and you say, things are not getting easier. Things are getting harder. So what we want to do is we want to be good disciples of Jesus, dependent upon him, adhering to his word, reading his word so that we know his word. Not to impress anybody, but we just want to know it so that when we find ourselves in a place of difficulty, that we'll be able to speak it because we've hidden it in our heart. So receive him, believe in him, grow in him, cling to him, love him, trust him, serve him. And we need to encourage one another to do so. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. We better shut those doors maybe for that song just so we're not blurring. <laughs>